Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, October 11th, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. How are things going, Alex? Very good. Thank you, Graham. I'm uh, I'm pumped up because it's now uh, your favorite time of year, the postseason for baseball. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. That, that almost sounds like the postseason for cricket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whatever that might mean. E- equally slow, I guess. Yeah. But um, I'm sad the Phillies are not in this postseason, which I've become quite accustomed to <laughs> over the years, but I still follow it a little bit. Um, but what's going on on the, you know, kind of MBA admissions side of things? Well, the big the the big um, news news story this week, if that's the right term, um, was basically Harvard releasing those round one interview invites um, during the middle of last week. That's annually, sort of, or perennially, I suppose, is the right term, where things really kick off on Livewire and really sort of ratchet up that community over the course of the next several months. There's a lot of activity folks posting their successes, getting the interview invite, and and several folks obviously posting that they've been sort of knocked out of the running, as it were. And, you know, some of those folks even recognizing that, you know, it, it is what it is, we've got to move on, and onwards and upwards. And I would say it's really difficult that Harvard is the first big school to sort of really get all its interview invites out in that fashion, because Harvard clearly like Stanford is at the very top of the tree. So it's very difficult to 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 gain admissions anyway. But also secondly, Harvard notoriously takes a deep cut um from from you know applicant to interview invite. So that that is reflected last week and lots of conversation related to that, Graham. Yeah, I agree. And I think that two two quick points. One I love to see when someone posts, you know, bad news, I love to see the community kind of rally and, you know, you see people kind of putting up comments to, you know, hey, you know, chin up, move on, just one school, um, you'll get in somewhere else kind of stuff. And so I always love that. That's why we built live wires for people to be able to kind of share in the journey. And then the other thing I was going to mention is you're absolutely right. I mean, Harvard they interview a really small percentage of the applicant pool. And then the good news is if you've got an interview, you've got a really good chance of getting in. I believe it's um, often north of 50%. So they're interviewing the people that they really, really are interested in. Whereas most other schools, not all, but most will interview a much larger chunk of the applicant pool such that, you know, you might have only like a one in three chance of getting in post-interview. So it's just a different um, way. But as you point out, to get that first one and have it be such a deep cut can make people worry about their chances and Look, the reality is, as you said, Harvard's hard to get into in the first place, and it's really hard to get an interview. So, um, yeah, so everyone chin up, move on. you got other schools, other fish in the sea kind of thing. Um, what Are there any other deadlines coming up, or are we really now into kind of full-on people are just waiting for interview invitations and maybe beginning to look at round two deadlines for additional apps? No, plenty of deadlines this week, Graham. Tell me what the programs are, and I'll forget immediately but, <laughs> but but no the, the, there are several schools have round one admissions deadlines this week okay there's also a couple of schools that are rolling out interview invites this week um so in a similar fashion as as harvard did i did notice actually last week too that stanford's starting to um tease out some interview invites too so lots is happening right now graham yeah or lot yeah there is a lot of stuff happening sorry my english is terrible <laughs> 
Um, so busy time. Uh, over on the website, we did a class profile story around Darden, their class of 23. Uh, they published the profile. It's, you know, 40% female, which ties a record. Also 40% international. So a lot of these international numbers coming back up kind of post-COVID, although I, we can't say we're post-COVID, but we're in a different phase of the pandemic. Um, they have about 350 students in their class, and 50 of them were from admitted from the consortium, which was a record. So really good underrepresented minority repu- uh, representation in the class. They also um, indicated that 15 of the students in this class are actually from their deferred admission program. So that gives you a sense of like, you know, how many people they're, they're bringing in for, for that kind of thing. Um, GPA was 3.5, GMAT 3.5, uh, 7.15, <laughs> uh, and GRE was 3.21. So that's kind of the Darden profile for those uh, keeping score at home. And then the other big news is that we did, uh, we brought back our Real Humans series, which is super popular. And what we do is we go to a campus and we, we get like five current students who've just arrived to tell us about their journey um, to the given school and, and what, what the experience is like. And so Michigan's Ross School of Business was the first one up. And we ran that out there. And I was, <laughs> I was pretty blown away. Like the, um, the people that we profiled were, there was a talent buyer, which I would, you know, someone who like books shows at a major concert hall. Um, there was someone who uh, manages a theater, uh, so kind of theatrical performances. There was a person working for a variety of NGOs, including the Clinton Foundation, there was someone who had like a regular maybe day job as a consultant, but also doubled as a news anchor for uh, a, a big uh, media property in, um, I want to say Bangladesh. And then, you know, there's a guy working in tech and, and kind of with government agencies in, in Belgium. So a really interesting group of students that we got to connect with. And I love those real humans pieces and it seems like people enjoy reading them. So that's kind of cool that that's back in action. And we'll be running like a couple of those a week for the next God knows how many weeks. So that'll be fun. Excellent stuff, Graham. Yeah. And then um, the last thing I wanted to mention is that we did an admissions director Q&A with Amber uh, Janke from University of Washington's Foster School. Um, great program, as you know, everyone's probably been noticing. It's a program that keeps ticking up in the rankings and they do really um, great job with, with placements at some of the very big tech companies. Uh, so there's an interesting Q&A on the website. And there's an audio Q&A that I did with um, Emily Hayden over at Kellogg, and that aired at, towards the end of last week. So if you're tuning in, you might have noticed there's an extra episode in your feed this week, and so you can hear um, what Emily had to say about admissions and all things you know, Kellogg. So that was fun to connect with her. Not, not to put you on the spot, Graham, <laughs> but what did you learn? Uh, I learned a lot of stuff. You know, what was funny is that um, I asked her to like debunk a stereotype, and she like went right at the, oh, you know, we're not just a marketing school. And also um, she had this great way of saying like, you know, everyone says, oh, we're known for collaborative leadership, but we're not soft. So I guess there's this stereotype out there that it's kind of a touchy feely school, marketing, uh, collaboration, but she was really um, adamant about, you know, that it's not, that's, you know, that they're more than that. (laughs) Um, And she talked a lot about, you know, they, they place a ton of people in tech. In fact, the largest market that they're placing candidates into when you look at regions in the U.S. is the West Coast. So, you know, they they had like over 30% of their class go to jobs on the West Coast. Um, so that that was just interesting to hear from her. And yeah, she's, she's great. She's just stepped into that role uh, with um, Kate Smith having departed. So I think she's still kind of, um, you know, taking the reins of like the full-time MBA and running that program. But she had a lot of really interesting insights into the application process. And so it was fun to connect with her. 
Yeah, as someone who teaches marketing, I take a bit of umbrage at this idea we're not just a marketing school. I would advocate that marketing is the most important um, person in the C-suite, because if you don't know your customer, you might as well not be in business. Yeah, I guess that's a fair, fair point. And I mean, and Kellogg does have this reputation, along with Wharton, I would say, as being you know really phenomenal in this domain. So um, in any event, yeah, so that's been what I've been up to. We do have a um, an event coming up actually today at 10 p.m. Eastern about if you're considering an MBA abroad, um, we're doing that in uh, in conjunction with HKU Business School um, over in Hong Kong. So um, people can tune into that if they would like. Uh, you have to um, sign up on our website. And Alex will continue to do our Clubhouse meetings every Thursday at 12. If you want to come and hang out with Alex and I, just install the Clubhouse app on your phone and join us for an audio conversation and Q&A. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I know we have some candidates to get into this week. I did want to tell you, Alex, that um, I shared this with you earlier in the week, that we got an email from uh, a listener named Jack who um, wrote us a really nice note. He said, um, Graham and Alex, thank you both so much for the advice reviewing my profile. I was an early bird apply wire entry from a few weeks ago that scored 700 on the first GMAT attempt. You all recommended that I needed to give it another go and I did so today after three rigorous weeks of studying, and I ended up with a 760 on my second sitting of the exam. So thank, so thankful you both. Thanks to you both. Um, to, so, <laughs> I'm so thankful that you both have the time and the confidence. Uh, I can't. I don't know what his his, <laughs> his writing is a little uh, garbled for me, but he's basically saying that um, he was really thankful that we gave him the confidence um, and the direction to go and take it again. And he says, I listened to your podcast on Spotify. So unfortunately I can't give you a review, but I wish I could give you another glowing five-star review. So, um, and I didn't, I guess Spotify doesn't have reviews, Alex, which we have to take it up with their CEO. But uh, that was just so nice to hear from Jack. And Jack, I'm sorry, I just completely jumbled your, your, uh, the, the note you sent us, but it was really touching. No, it's great. And it, it is good to to get that direct feedback that folks, you know, take, really take on board some of the things that we say, take action. And, you know, we, there's no guarantee that having a 760 will put you on a different planet than having a 700 in terms of your options. But it's certainly not going to hurt, right, Graham? I mean, it has to be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to reach out to us, um, obviously, we love when people write uh, reviews or rate the podcast over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, if they allow you to review. Uh, but you can also just email us at info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. Um, I should also mention, if you ever want to tweet about the show, just use the hashtag clearadmitwiretaps and, and we'll probably um, catch it somewhere. <laughs> um, so yeah, just feel free to reach out however you want. We love hearing from our listeners. Um, but Alex, I think it's time for us to move into the wiretaps portion here and get to these amazing candidacies that you've highlighted for the week. So shall we? <laughs> Let's kick on. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. This is an apply wire entry that we received, and it's for someone who wants to start school next fall. Uh, they're applying to seven schools, and those schools are Columbia, Duke, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Chicago, and Wharton. Um, they've been working as an associate director in a kind of pharmaceutical business development role. And post-MBA, they'd love to get into venture capital, maybe pharma. Presumably, um, I think what they want to do is like VC in that space. Um, and then they listed some companies, uh, Arch Ventures, Atlas Ventures, F-Prime, 
there's probably a handful that they you know could target. They have a GMAT score of 740 and a GPA of 3.59. They've got five years of work experience. They are located in Boston, and they would really like to stay in Boston. Um, and they mentioned you know that they've been basically working in this life sciences pharma industry, um, doing strategy consulting at first and working their way up and um, making their way into more of a um, pharma business development role as a senior manager. Um, they claim that they, you know, they say they've completed an asset acquisition, done some out licensing deals. So they've had a pretty um, successful career and they're really hoping to use business school to solidify their skill set and quote, transition into life sciences VC. Um, with a long-term aim of running a venture-backed startup focusing in neurodegenerative diseases. So Alex, you had some dialogue with this candidate and I wanted you to just, yeah, tell us what you think and tell us a little bit about what you were going back and forth on. Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, Graham, this is a great candidate, right? No doubt about it. The numbers are rock solid for the very top programs. Um, their, their professional experience sounds fantastic in terms of their sort of development and the, the area in which they're working and, and their impact and so on and so forth. I'm assuming all that checks out um, and sounds very good. They, they do some volunteer work and, and so on and so forth. So, so to me, the ingredients of this candidacy is top-notch and they should be targeting top programs and they are targeting top programs. The only piece of this candidacy that made me a little bit queasy, Graham, is their goals coming out of the MBA. They want to go into VC and I don't blame them. I think, sure, I you know, get, get your MBA, go into VC, private equity or whatever it is and, in, in terms of Focusing on the life sciences space makes perfect sense and a really good opportunity if you can get the opportunity. And that's where I have a little bit of pushback. Um, We know those types of roles are few and far between. And schools might be a little bit queasy thinking if they're all in on this VC coming directly out of the MBA, that could be a little bit worrisome. So I asked the candidate, what's their plan B? Um, because someone that has this type of goal, you really do need to have a bit of a plan B and recognize that you might need to double recruit until something pans out. And their plan B made a lot of sense to me. They were potentially going into a smaller startup environment at a more senior role and use that as a segue into VC, you know, assuming the startup environment is venture backed and so on and so forth. So my question to you, Graham, is, should that be plan A? Yeah, and this is something that I think we've talked about a little bit um, in the past on, on wiretaps, this idea of it, you know, VC or private equity being tricky domains to break into, um, and that sometimes you know, admissions readers um, and particularly career services uh, officers at these business schools, they kind of bristle at the notion of someone being able to necessarily make that leap. Um, and you know, some of that's because there aren't a ton of MBA grads that go into PE when you compare to say, you know, tech jobs or, um, you know, or consulting or, you know, even banking, right? So they're, they're kind of um, a small number of jobs and often those jobs are awarded to people who either are coming from with pre-MBA experience in, in private equity or venture capital or maybe at minimum they've been they've done banking um, or maybe successfully started and sold a venture back startup or something. So it can be tricky. 
And I think um, the fear that you have, and I, I agree with you that the fear you have here is, you know, will this be a palatable set of goals for um, the admissions reader? And, and, and I, I liked the backup plan of, hey, I want to continue to do what I'm doing in the kind of pharma um, domain, but I want to do it um, in a more senior role, but for a smaller entity, ideally a venture-backed, um, you know, whether it's a biotech startup or whatever it might be, um, that, that would be pretty interesting and would give them a whole host of options. And then they could say, in the long term, I would love to get involved in, um, you know, VC in the healthcare life sciences domain. That would be more palatable to me. Um, so I, I kind of agree with your <laughs> your advice here. Now, do we know did this person already apply, or are they this is round two stuff? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure we know that, um, but um, but yeah, hopefully. At the end of the day, Graham, they do belong in a top school. I think it, it does look like that they have the 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 the, the wherewithal and, and the experience and the numbers and everything that really resonates. And you know, the, the the industry in which they're focused is is a very important industry right now. So yeah, lots to like here. Yeah, agree. I mean, this person will go to one of these top schools, um, and I noted they have Duke, Kellogg, and Wharton on their list, and I'm highlighting those because of the healthcare strength that those programs have. So there's a lot to like. And, you know, I should also mention, you know, they have Columbia and, and Booth and, again, Wharton, um, all pretty good for, for PE and VC too, right? So it's a good list. They want to land in Boston, so I presume that's why they don't have um, some West Coast schools on their list. Um, but, yeah, very interesting candidacy. And I, you know, they, I did want to mention they, they do, you said they have some volunteer work. It's with the Peter Gammons um, Scholarship, and so it's like a mentorship program that they do. And you wouldn't, you may not know this, Alex, but Peter Gammons is a very famous um, baseball writer and reporter. Oh, so boy. It's, and he's oh from, no, boy. he's from Boston. <laughs> no, I was saying he, he's from Boston. So they're, they're clearly, you know, up to something that sounds pretty interesting and, and, and good in their community. So great candidacy. I want to thank them for sharing their profile. Wish them the best of luck. If they haven't finished those essays for round, you know, maybe they're applying in round two, then you know, hopefully they'll take our advice on board. Um, but again, I'm sure they're going to land on their feet. So pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the advice is for, for, for general listeners. I mean, make sure that not only are your goals ambitious, but they, they, they need to be plausible in terms of, you know, the, 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 the schools that you're targeting need to feel very comfortable that they're going to enable you to go down this path successfully. Yeah, well said. Um, all right. So let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another apply wire entry that you've selected. And this candidate, again, will start school next fall. They've got five schools on the target list, and those schools are Cambridge, Cornell, LDS, Oxford, and Vanderbilt. Um, this person has been working in the SEO domain and as a digital marketing consultant. They would love to get into, uh, I guess, traditional consulting post-MBA, and they've got companies like Accenture, AT Kearney, Bain, BCG, Deloitte, McKinsey, PwC, LEK, Strategy and, and I guess Ernst & Young as well. So a whole bunch of potential consulting targets. Their GMAT score is a 700 and their GPA is a 3.27. They've been working for six years. They're located in Idaho in the USA and they would love to land in a place like London, New York or potentially Atlanta slash Nashville. Um, they said that their 3.27 is a GPA that's from an unranked state school. They then <laughs> bracketed great football, though. <laughs> um, and I think they mean American football, um, but I'm not certain. Um, and they indicate that they had um, 
I think they meant to say extenuating circumstances to explain their GPA. They wrote excruciating circumstances, so maybe it was both. Uh, but they had something. There's something underlying that GPA that I guess they want to explain. Um, but Alex, what do you make of this candidate? I mean, they maybe you can offer up some insights into their work experience since they've had a bit of a um, done a different a bunch of different things. So do you want to walk us through that and then tell us what you think? I mean, it seems like they've they've done well, almost like as an entrepreneur, but running running small agencies or, or whatever it might be in that digital marketing space, whether they're actually running it or partnering or, or, or participating. Um, the, the, the line that made me a little bit sort of um, cautious, Graham, it said, I ran my own SEO consultancy for a year, but COVID killed my clientele. I mean, I hope they weren't talking in a literal sense. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, pretty sure it's not that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so clearly they, they've they, they faced some challenges over the COVID period in terms of running their own business and, and so forth. So 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 we, we we can certainly understand that, and the adcom will be sympathetic to that it's going to be important for this candidate to come up with a sort of robust narrative in terms of what they've done and and what they've gotten out of their experiences and so on and so forth um, without sort of overly making excuses obviously because everybody's been impacted by covid but it it is going to be doubly challenging when you're running your own business i think so um, clearly, that's um, that that that's going to be 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 a bit of an issue there. Um, overall, Graham, I actually quite like this candidate because I think they've shown a bit of that entrepreneurial spirit um, in terms of doing some of these different things. Um, what I have a little bit of reservation about is their numbers are average; they're a little ho hum, to be frank when you're targeting the, the top schools. Um, and they've made it quite clear that, one, they're not going to retake the GMAT, so the GMAT is final, I mean, and, and that's fine. Um, but also, secondly, at the suggestion of maybe doing MBA Math or HBS Core, it's almost like, well, I might do that if I'm not successful in round one. I, if, 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 I, if I'm a proactive candidate... Um, being a little bit more aggressive, I think I would have already gone down that path. Even if I can't do the MBA Math or HBS core in time for round one, I've got my apps in, now I'm doing it. I'm not waiting to see the results before I decide to do it. Because I do think going down that path and taking a, a course like this can, can also influence and impact your, your round one targets. Um, so, so, so that was one thing that stood out for me here, Graham. The other thing that stood out for me is that their geographic goals are to either be in London, New York, or Atlanta, Nashville after the MBA. And that makes it quite tricky in terms of coming up with these target programs. Because if you sort of slice and dice where they're applying, from the London angle, it's London Business School, Oxford, and, and Judge, um, Cambridge, Oxford, and, and London. And then from the Nashville, Atlanta, and New York side, it's either Cornell or Vanderbilt Owen. Yeah. So I think they're a little thin on the ground, certainly on the U.S. side. What would, don't you think, Graham? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think, yeah, there are a few, you know, as I'm kind of looking at this profile, there are a couple of tidbits that I wanted to introduce because it may be relevant. So um, this person is uh, a white male American, but with Lebanese citizenship. So they have that kind of interesting cultural background that hopefully they can bring to bear um, in some way, shape, or form in the application process. 
Um, but when it comes to the school selection, I agree. It's like they're pretty, I mean, they've got the key schools in the UK um, that one would expect to see. But if they want to be in Atlanta or Nashville, you know, where's Emory or, or even, um, you know, Duke or UNC? Um, and then, you know, they have Vanderbilt. So, so those are schools I would think of as being in that kind of, if, if they want to land in that region. And then when it comes to New York, you know, they have Cornell, but there may be others, right? There are a lot of, <laughs> a lot of programs near New York, including some right in New York. So I know their numbers might suggest that that might be part of what's driving this. They might be saying, you know what, I'm not going to apply to NYU or Columbia with a 700 and a 3.27. But I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I feel like they might be able to tie this work experience together. I mean, they've, they've started their own business. They've had, um, you know, probably learned some interesting lessons from failure or, or challenges faced during COVID with running their own company. Um, and they mentioned that they, you know, they've had some experience working with VC-backed tech clients on digital marketing strategy and that that's been um, international in nature, some of that work. And they also sit on the board of a couple of nonprofits that serve the veteran community because their father was a um, disabled vet. So there's like, a, there's a lot here that could come together if they tell the story well and are able to weave together what could be a kind of disparate set of work experiences potentially. So they have to weave it all together. Um, but I agree with you. I, I have a little bit of frustration around the, you know, they're not retaking the tests. They're not going to do MBA math. And, and that it's just sort of like, oh, I wish that there was time for them to do that stuff because it might improve their odds. Right. So I, I don't know. I mean, although they did indicate they have some good news already, right. Aren't they getting some interview invitations? They got an interview invited Owen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So and I think so, they're interviewing with Oxford too, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so we'll see. Um, it's interesting though. I, I think, uh, you know, the fact that they, the numbers are a little below average, but you know, when you look at the schools on their list, it's not like they're applying to, you know, to Stanford or something. Right. So the, it's not, um, it depends on the schools, yeah. right? I think LBS, they're below average. Same with Cornell. Owen, probably not so much. They're probably, um, right around the average, right? So Yeah, but, but here's my point here, Graham. I mean, I think Owen's a, a very good school, but there's quite a big gap between Owen and Johnson. Yeah, oh yeah. Like there's, there's, there's other schools, and you, you mentioned some of them. Mm -hmm. So I don't get why they're not on this list. Um, and not that Johnson should be the upper limit, right? So, so you talked about Duke and so on and so forth. So to me, this candidate is a tad frustrating in as much as are they going to optimize their candidacy through this process to get into the best school that they should be able to get into? I think that's where I'm a little bit frustrated. And it comes out in a couple of different ways. One is their hesitancy to do things like do MBA math or HBS core to strengthen their, their academic profile. And secondly, applying to the right set of schools. Yeah, agree. Because I think what could happen is they could get shut out with an admit to Vanderbilt, you know, and so then, um, and Vanderbilt's great and that, that maybe that's, they would end up there and they would land in their choice, one of their choice cities of Nashville. Yeah, it could be great for them, yeah. but I'm not sure it's their best option. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's sort of like if you, yeah, you always want to make sure you apply to enough schools and to a good range of programs and you're very smart to call out that gap. Um, there is a big gap between, as you say, Cornell and, and Vanderbilt. So in any event, um, best of luck to this individual. Uh, hopefully they'll keep us posted and, and, you know, they're going to get some news in round one fairly early on here so they can 
always retool and add some of these schools that we've suggested for a round two run, um, as they point out, they might be willing to do. So we, we shall see. I want to wish them the best of luck in their interviews, as, as you did as well, Alex, on the website. But yeah, thanks for um, that submission. And uh, I think we should move on here. Yep. So this is Wiretaps candidate number three. So this is an ApplyWire entry as well. Um, it's a candidate, again, looking to start next fall. They have six schools on the target list, and they are Cornell, Dartmouth, Duke, Michigan, UVA, and Vanderbilt. Uh, they've been working in consulting, and they'd love to stay in consulting. In fact, they are a sponsored Big Four uh, consulting candidate, right? So that means they're working at a Big Four consultancy, and that firm is going to pay for them to go to business school, um, after which they're going to go back. So. Um, they're kind of a shoe-in for getting a job <laughs> post-MBA. Uh, they have a 690 on the GMAT, and they have a GPA of 4.0. Uh, they've been working for six years, and they're located in the state of New York. Uh, they have high-quality extracurriculars that are tied to education and mentoring, and they really want to focus on education post-MBA in terms of the, um, the firm that they're working for has an education practice, which is a kind of tech, ed tech focused practice. So um, the reason I think, Alex, that you picked this one is because of something that you messaged me about on Slack, which was that they had a, a question about their GMAT score, because um, I had said, you know, wow, 4.0 GPA, um, GMAT feels a little light at 690, but do you want to walk us through what they, <laughs> what they pointed out and why you threw it over to me? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And let, let me just start off by saying, quite frankly, I think this is a pretty good candidate overall, right? They've got good experience. Big four, they're getting sponsored, so they must have performed quite well. They've got great extracurricular activities, even though they self-profess that, but let's assume that's correct. <laughs> and I do like the idea that the extracurriculars dovetail nicely with their goals and so on and so forth. They've got a 4.0 GPA, six years of experience. So this does look like an extremely solid to very good candidate. Um, the, 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 so, so the debate here in the conversation is all going to be about test scores. Um, they got a 690 GMAT, Graham, yeah. which is one is below average. We know that. But it's also below this mythical 700 line, as it were, right? Yeah. Um, so, and they've got a 322 um, GRE score, which again is going to be below average, uh, but it's above that mythical line of 320, if, if you can compare the two. So, so the question becomes, should this candidate apply with a 690 GMAT or a 322 GRE? I couldn't answer that question in good faith. I sent it over to you, Graham. You wrote a long diatribe, which I read, and I thought was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and I, I'm, you know, um, because I'm afraid I, I will never be as eloquent as I was <laughs> writing it down, but it's, I, you know, I think they raise a really interesting point regarding this 322, because they happen to have taken the GRE as well. Because I, I called them out and said, gee, 690, have you thought about taking the test again? And they then revealed, well... Um, you know, I think they said that the 690 was the third attempt, but that they also took the GRE and got that 322. They said, if that's worth anything. And, you know, I started to do, sort of think this through and I began to, like you, arrive at this idea that, well, you know, 322 is actually above a 320. Um, you mentioned below average, but it, it's actually, you know, the, the average GRE at, say, Darden, because we just did a class profile on them, is 321. 
Um, so it's not too far from where they would need to be. Whereas I think um, when we look at Darden again as an example, their average GMAT is 715. So I feel like the 322 is actually the better score um, in the absolute you know, terms and, and that you know, they just happen to perform better on that test and that they should put that test out there. Um, you know, and I think that we could stop there, but I also, <laughs> I wanted to mention that, you know, at the end of the day, um, some of the rankings use GMAT averages and academic statistics. And even if they don't, um, all the schools are always excited to tout their class profiles. And so if you think of this from the admissions reader or the, just the admissions office perspective, you have a candidate that could come in with a 322, which if you're Darden or something is above your average, or they could come in with a 690, which is below your average and will drag your average down, right? So I, I think they want to go with the GRE here. And again, I know um, Darden's just one of the schools on their list, but I, I think this will be true across the board um, that, you know, that 322 is going to be better received. I mean, it would be good to know if, um, you know, what the percentages were on the math and things like that. But I, I suspect that it's, you know, good enough. Um, and so it's, I'm really glad that we sort of pushed them on this and that they revealed that they had this GRE. So I feel like there's no downside to using that GRE score. I don't know if you agree there. I mean, do you think some of this gamesmanship happens in the admissions office where they'd rather have a, a GRE and, uh, you know, th- than a lower, than a below average GMAT? I, I completely agree. I'm going to ask you a quick question, Graham. Do you know, like, I'm sure there's tools on the internet that convert a GMAT score to a GRE. Um, what does a 690 GMAT convert to, to a GRE? Do we know? Um, there are tools, um, but I'm not sure. I, the way that they tend to work is um, you have to have both sections of the GRE. So I don't know what this person... What their breakout scores are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's, yeah. I, I think that... Um, Let's see. I think I can find. Yeah. So I think if you have a 322, um, it does convert, I think, similarly. Like it, But the thing is, is that I think a lot of the schools are using the GRE or test waivers to kind of bring some people into the class that are otherwise great, um, have interesting profiles, you know, have, I mean, this person has great career goals, right? Because they're a guaranteed hire. They're being sponsored. And so I think to some extent, the schools are using these other tests or test waivers to bring in folks that they really want to give a, pl- a spot to in the class and who are not going to sort of damage their stats, right? So Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I do think if you do a conversion, it's probably similar. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's even a little bit lower. There might even be, I, I can't remember, but I feel like a 320 is more like a 650 or 660. or. That's something. what I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 So... Um, but the truth is, is that, yeah, again, unless they bombed on one of the sections, I sort of feel like, gee, if their average GRE score at a Darden is 321 and they have a 322, then that's probably better to put out there. So yeah. Um, yeah. anyway, it's, it's it's an interesting quandary. And I don't think it'd be hard to get a straight answer out of an admissions officer. And that's what I love about this show. We can kind of say whatever the, whatever the hell we want in terms of what we're thinking. And we're not working in an admissions uh, capacity anymore. And so, but I, I think it's... Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting quandary. We, we we can say whatever we want on the basis that we used to work in admissions, right. so we know how they operate. Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, but I, yeah, so I, if I were this person, I would probably submit that GRE score. Exactly. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, and I and I think they're going to get into some of these schools, and and they'll land on their feet, obviously, because they have that job <laughs> waiting for them. If they want to do any ed tech consulting with Clear Admit, they can give us a call. We'll uh, take any advice they. They have. Yeah. Um, Alex, thanks for picking these out. As always, 
Um, great to talk through these candidacies. And I did want to remind everyone to please rate and review this show or send us an email, whatever you want to do to sort of shout from the rooftops that you're enjoying this. Um, and I also want to remind people that you can buy our interview guides uh, at clearadmit.com. They're really helpful if you get an interview at a top school in terms of navigating that process and knowing what questions you're going to be asked and how to respond. Um, but that's about it, Alex. I guess we'll get together in a week's time to do this again. Very good. Stay safe, everybody. Take care.